and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what age like fine strawberry wine and what age like milk. I'm Kit. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Izzy. I use she, her pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall related things at Abbey Archives on Tumblr and Reddit. Today, we're reading the second half of the first part of The Bellmaker, chapters 7 through 12. Content warnings, currently being updated by Izzy as I read them, are book typical violence, slavery, violence against children and child endangerment, hostages, death, drowning, uh, also buried alive slash death by burial, drowning, ableism, insanity, stereotypes, Threats of starvation and dehydration. And I think that's the majority of it. Also, if you don't like boats, this is the wrong book for you. Oh, oh, um. Oh. Clickety click, click, click. Uh, 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 um. Sinking ships. Sinking ships. Like literally sinking ships. Yes. Whole ass. That just happens. Yep. Pir- Pirate of the Caribbean it. Yep. Like, they, they, it. It's sick as shit when it happens, but like if you can't handle that, uh, yeah. Yeah, basically, remember, like, for those who are listening in, um, remember how ambivalent I was towards the first couple chapters of this book? How I, would, I was like, I don't really have strong feelings anyway. All of the rage! This, we, we, we have feelings about this half like i definitely enjoyed this portion more like the book finally picked up and actually started being interesting but also it's just like mm, i see brian is making his usual choices and they're not good he's making decisions he's making decisions and let's get into those with chapter seven chapter seven starts with saxtus preparing to write down the words joseph is about to relay from martin He tells of the dream how he saw it, how Martin guided him over a far country, a beautiful country, yet overshadowed by fear. Martin spoke to him then, and of course, as always, it's spoken in riddle. Izzy, if you'd like to read the riddle. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to read the all of the riddle? Uh, I have it split up in parts. Okay. Birds of cloth that fly or water... Guide trees of the forest through the sea. Where a snake begins, find thy daughter. Go now, turn thou, do to my plea. He pauses, and Saxtus thanks him once he's gotten it written down. Like, there's a very cute little back and forth between Saxtus and him here, as Saxtus is carefully writing everything down. Mm -hmm. Moving on, he says Martin faded from view, to be replaced by Mariel and Dandin, also speaking in verse. Five will ride the roaring burn, but only four will e'er return. Ergen sits in Gale's royal house. Warrior maid and warrior mouse say hasten and give aid. It brings up a hubbub. Five will go, only four return. But who are the five? And like, of course we know that like people are immediately going to jump to, oh, someone's going to die. Yeah. But... It's like, part of me's like, well, maybe... Someone's gonna die. Oh, fun! <laughs> yeah, pretty... Yeah. <laughs> but part of me's like, well, maybe that just means, though, that somebody finds their calling to stay where they're going. You know, like, maybe, like, they find a place that they like more than Redwall, or they're needed there, you know? Um, yeah. 
Because, like, some of my favorite stories, there's characters who are like, I want to go home, but I am needed more here. Like, this is where my calling is. So, like, they have yeah. to leave their comfort zone and, like, stay where they are. Because, like, that's another aspect of the hero's journey or, you know, like, old legends that isn't talked about as much is the hero never gets to really go home. But that's not always a bad thing either. Like, sometimes it's sometimes because... Sometimes they find a new home. Yes. Where they either fit in more or people, like, need them more kind of a thing. I just started having emotions about my podcast characters. <laughs> when are hard. you, when are you thinking not... about fucking all you, okay? I'm <laughs> <laughs> thinking about my captain. Oh, captain, my captain? Oh, captain, my captain. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Saxton's Just the hopes are shot. It's fun. It's good. I have emotions. You good? Yeah. No, never, but yeah. You are um, uh, chaotic neutral. I'm in a glass case of emotions. Saxus calls for quiet, allowing Joseph to continue. The dream ends with the sounds of waves and battle, and Martin calls out who the five will be. If you would like to read that. Bellringer who'd love to stay, go with cellar hog, I say. Laughing flower with the eye of a hawk, digger who would rather walk. Father mouse with beard of gray, five from Redwall, go away. Go on, get out of here. Go have an adventure. Go on, get. <laughs> go on, get out of here. Um, <laughs> Martin's saying, go on, get. <laughs> Get off his lawn. <laughs> Get on my lawn! Saxus has it all written down, and Joseph settles down, tired from his recitation. Tarquin is all for staying at the table to solve the riddles. Snarfing. And... Snarf, snarf, scarf, snarf. Delicious food, I guess. Just the meme of holding the seagull beak shut. Shut! <laughs> um, yeah, stuffing his face while he does it. He is scolded by Mellis and Sister Sage, and rightfully so, um, with Simeon backing them up. Joseph and Saxus are both tired from their duty as Martin's mouthpieces, and they should all sleep on his words. Everyone agrees, heading upstairs to sleep, except Tarquin, who stays at the table. Rosie says he's just helping them all clean up less, and he says it was a good thing, him marrying her. Must have had a good meal before doing so. And, okay, this part did make me laugh, because Rosie's like, wait, was this was a, that compliment a compliment to them? Yeah. I think he meant it as a compliment, but her little pause of like, hmm. Let me let me read it. Let me read it. It's actually a very cute, charming moment, and I will it give is. I will give Brian credit for that. Like, he, he actually has, like, some really good moments in these I chapters. I do like Rosie and Tarkin. They're, or Tarquin. They're very good together, I think. Yeah. Um, and also, we don't have to deal with Tarquin for decent chunks of the book. Anyway, the Redwallers rose from their seats in a body, all save Tarquin, who carried on with his extended dinner. His wife, the Han Rosie, ruffled his ears fondly. You carry on, old lad. Save a lot of clearing up. What? Tarquin rescued the remains of a heavy fruitcake. Thank you, my dear. Beautiful and jolly understanding, too. Made a wise decision when I chose you. Shurmf, germf. Must have had a good meal before I met you, eh? Rosie allowed Simeon to lean on her paw as they went upstairs to the dormitories. That's my Tarkers for you, always paying me compliments, she said. Er, that was a compliment, wasn't it? 
It's just a sweet moment. They're in love. They're they married. Are. They've got 12 kids. They they want 12 children. They're 12? super married. Good golly. Uh, it just, Is that oh, all so... from one litter or what happened there? Uh, I would hazard it would be at least two because I think rabbits can produce at least six. Hang on. How many kids can Okay, so, oh, geez. Okay, they can have up to 15, but the average litter size is seven. So I would hazard that it's probably split up between at least two. Two or three. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like the I'm... other thing we could go with is that they just have so much sex. I mean, the rabbits, so... <laughs> their hairs, excuse you. Hairs, I'm sorry. Their hairs, I'm sorry. Apologies. Hairs. Um, also, just like war flashbacks to the furry debates over if I draw my fursona sh- and they're like a cat, should they have like regular boobs or like six? <laughs> no, okay, that's one of my favorite things about Guild Wars uh-huh. is that the the Char who are cat people, it, the uh, like executives were like, we want them to have titties, and the people doing the designs were like, okay, you have two choices here: either we don't give them any titties or we give them six titties. <laughs> and so the char don't have titties. Oh, I know. I, I have so much respect for those designers. They're Bravo. so good. The char is so good. And the sexual dimorphism between the males and females is actually not that much. Like, the females are a little sleeker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have, like, smaller... Because the char also have horns. Uh, okay. The females have smaller horns. I mean, but that, like, does, that does track with feline, you yeah, know, dimorphism. Yeah, yeah. But, like, there's not, like, the females are... It's not like in World of Warcraft where the females are, like, half the size. Yeah. And look like somebody squished them. <laughs> we, You cannot be buff. We need to sell money to the boys who are going to be buying this game because clearly no one else will. Um. Me over here, like, let the worgen ladies be big! <laughs> ah! <laughs> So, after that tangent, breakfast the next morning is outside, set up like a picnic. And it's, like, going to be, like, a fine summer day, so they're enjoying the outside before it gets really hot, you know. Um, In the shade of the ramparts and shit. Reading this, like, always makes me think of, um, like, summer camp mornings when, like, you're Mm -hmm. rousted out of bed, like, way too early to go eat food that is usually a little sketchy, um... But sometimes yep. good, depending on where which camp you're at. Yep. Uh, and there's, like, still, like, dew on the grass, but you know it's going to be, like, 90 degrees in half an hour. So sometimes like, it's a little misty or foggy. Yeah. If you're if you're lucky enough to have a camp with, like, a pond or a lake near it. Yeah. Um, so Melis rescues Sister Sage from the Dibbins, who are surrounding her food cart, by telling them to go guard the wall ramparts. She'll have food sent up to them if they do. And it's like... Something, something, send the children to go play in a high place. Uh, good idea, ma'am. Go play in traffic indeed. <laughs> it, 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 the thing is, is that they're way too short to see over the wall. Right. But I'm thinking like on the inside side of it. Because like does the inside side of the wall isn't implied that there isn't as much of like a rampart there? Ramp, ramp. But it's still taller than the Dibbins. It is. But some something about the image of like, children, you're annoying us. Go play in a high place. Just kind of. <laughs> it made me giggle a little bit. I'm sure it is safe, but 
This is 100% me joking. Just the mental image of just like, you know, my parents used to joke about, you know, like, oh, our parents would tell us to go go play in traffic, you know. So. I mean, Sister Sage was being saved from the Dibbins stealing food. Fruit gummy, not fruit gummy, but slices of fresh fruit, because they fruit were just salad. swarming yummy, her. Yummy, yummy. Savage. Once they're out of the way, the adults settle to solve the riddles. Dury and Joseph already know they're two of the five. That's easy enough. Yeah, cellar hog and father mouse with beard of gray. No one else fits that. Right. I mean, like, maybe Simeon, but he's not gonna go anywhere. Simeon's and he's not like, a... M- Simeon's not a mouse. Wait, he's not? I thought he was a mole. No, he's a mouse. Is he a mouse? Yeah, Simeon's he's a mouse. He's not a father. He's not a father. Yeah, exactly. He's He is a cool old single dude, you know. He's gay. Maybe he's Arrow. Maybe. He's queer in some way. <laughs> Melisa? This is not a straight man. Is he? What? Let me finish. No. We need to focus, please. I, I okay. have to make bread today. I okay. have to go pick up a deep freezer, so yeah. Okay. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Melis regrets that she's not one of the five and is puzzled to see Roof Brush crying. He knows he's one of the five. He never wants to leave Redwall, but if Martin calls... Because he's the bell ringer. Mm-hmm. You're the bell ringer. Um, Shut up. <laughs> but, hey, it's a good movie. Poor, <laughs> poor lad. He's like literally getting the call. Like this is like the most directly you can get the call without having your parents slash parental figure killed in front of you. <laughs> hey, Stairs at, least... at like the last book. Yeah. But Dury... Not the last book. That was Salamandastron, wasn't it? Well, I mean, we mean, like, the, the book connected to this one. Like, I'm sure, like, we, we know what you mean. Um, Dury comforts him. He'll be traveling with his friends. It'll be a grand thing. And Rufy... Ruf, God damn Ruf. it. And Ruf says, they'll come back together when it's all done. And I'm just like, death flag! Death flag! I don't think it's a death flag! I think Dury and Ruf are the old mole and... <laughs> not mole. Hedgehog and squirrel from the beginning of the book. From the prologue. Like, I'm sure you're right. But, like, if this was, like, a war movie, that would be, like, the death flag. If this was a Shakespearean play, that is the death flag. You're like, you don't say that, Ruf. That is what guarantees one of you is going to die in a heart that's a, that, that That is the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead moment. Yep. <laughs> God, I love that play. Formal is also reluctant to go. He knows in his guts they're going on a boat. And oh, he hates boats. But Martin told him... Going on a trip in a big fucking boat. (laughs) But Martin told him and he must listen to Martin. And sometimes I wonder, it's like, Brian forgot that some mole species are actually aquatic. Not all, but some. Star-nosed moles are semi-aquatic and it fucks me up. They're so cool. Their little noses just like bloopity 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 bloop on the They're floor. so fucking weird. They're I love so them. I I'm fucked up about that shit. The, the I fact love that so star-nosed moles are semi-aquatic. If you've never pl- it, listeners, if you've never seen a star-nosed mole swimming, just look up a video of a star-nosed mole swimming. They're little they're goofy and it's also kind of fucked up. Their their little noses are like little catfish whiskers in the water. All right, but do you want to know a fascinating fact about them? If you watch them swim, you'll see them like breathe out little bubbles of air and then suck it back in. 
That is how they smell underwater. They breathe out air and then breathe that air back in. And that is how they get the scents from the water. It's so fucking weird. It's so cool. It's super cool. It's fucking weird. So they wonder if Tree Rose is their last party member. But no, she says, it's a different Rose. I'm a little sad. I like Tree Rose. Now I like Tree Rose anyway. (laughs) Yeah, Um, because she stopped being a brat. Exactly. She's like matured. Um, Rosie, who is snooping a little ways off, is caught and teased into realizing she is indeed the fifth. And like, thank God it's Rosie and not Tarquin. Good times with Scar voice. Hawkeye! <laughs> I don't know that reference. It's a Minecraft day. All of my people who listen, who do Minecraft YouTube get me. Got me. Got me on this. Anyway, yeah, apparently she used to be called uh, Hawkeye. Because mm-hmm. she was like, I have a hawk. Oh, ho, ho, yeah. I used to be called Hawkeye by the general. Yeah, because she can like snipe stuff. She, she can hit anything with a weapon from, like, a league away, basically. Mm-hmm. She's fucking Hawkeye! Tarquin protests. Is she going to leave him alone with their 12 children? Rosie deeply wants to go, but if her husband says no, she won't go. And, like, I did kind of bristle at this a little bit, but it is also, like, their partners. Also, they're partners, and it is also kind of fair of Tarquin to be like, Twelve. We have twelve children, yeah. Rosie. Exactly. Like if it was just like one or two kids, I'd be a little more like, hmm, sir. But it's like, sir, no, but they he, twelve. He does kind of have it, a point. And Tarquin and Rosie aren't thinking because they don't live at the Abbey, so they're not thinking. Oh, well, we they can just leave the children at the Abbey, right? We, we it's so not like they're they'll like, have the help of a community. Yeah, because they don't live in the community until until um, you know Joseph knows the hairs well enough to pull a gentle kind of trick on Tarquin. He says he's sorry to hear it. Here at the Abbey, they could have helped raise the Leverets, give them schooling and food. And Mellis mentions someone needs to help in the cellar with Dury gone. Dury agrees to all of this, having caught on, and Tarquin is caught hook, line, and sinker. He gives her full permission and the others around laugh and applaud at his, air quotes, brave decision. It's it's really funny because the, the hook is being like, oh, yeah, well, we can help take care of your children. The the line is like, and we need somebody to help in 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 the cellars. And the sinker is dirty being like, yeah, I need somebody who's got like a good stomach who could just every day sample everything and make sure it's the right temperature. And it's got like the right amount of like everything that goes into it. And I need somebody with a good constitution for that. And that's the fucking sinker. And Mm -hmm. Tarkin's just like, (laughs) who told you you couldn't go? Whoever said that, I'm going to box them around the ears. Go on, honey. We'll be fine here. Scooby-Doo with a Scooby snack moment. Basically. <laughs> okay. That's my finding where I'm reading noise. With that settled, Saxtus moves on to the other two riddles. The first is quick and easy to solve, at least for Simeon. It's a boat. Yeah, because this the, the 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 like the the first bit is sails and then uh the second bit is the timber of the boat itself, so it's it's a ship. Mm-hmm. Which I got that, like, I read that at first, and I was like, oh, yeah, that first bit is definitely sales. Mm -hmm. The second bit, though, I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah, like the, 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 the first riddle was like very easy to figure out. Like except for like the Roaring Burn bit, I'm like, is the Roaring Burn a river? But yeah, we, we don't we don't learn that till later. Yeah. But the second bit is red. We have a Shakespearean bit of humor and wordplay with Joseph turning around. Simeon laughs at him. Like, it's literally like Simeon, the... Simeon doesn't see him, but Simeon hears him because he gets up and literally turns around. Uh, like, because he turns thou. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Simeon just starts fucking just dying of laughter. And Saxus is annoyed about it. And Simeon's like, did I just hear Joseph get up and actually turn around? And, like, I mean this literally <laughs> when I say this is a Shakespearean bit. Um, like... I can't remember exactly which play it is, but there's a letter that they read where they say, like, revolve, basically meaning think about it in your mind. But instead, people took it literally as a joke and they would have the character turn in place. They would revolve. It's it's a good visual comedy. Yeah, because Shakespeare is a comedian. Um, Well, he's also a tragedian. He is, but the two go together so very well. Yeah, they do. Tragedy and comedy. Saxtus is a bit annoyed at that before Simeon apologizes and helps him along with the riddle. He has to literally spell it out for them that the answer is south. And like, to be fair, I would not have gotten this one at all. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten it either. It, this is definitely a Martin riddle. Let's be fair to Martin. He is a warrior, not a He's scholar. also been dead for God knows how long. Like, poor Martin being like, oh god, the vowels have how changed, I, and how do I talk to these people? How do I people? talk to people? The word, the language has changed, people have changed. How do I tell them how to do the thing without telling them how to do the thing? Mm-hmm. Fuck. It's like, it's- I've gotta do badger riddles, because <laughs> that that's literally what this is, is Martin doing badger riddles. Mm-hmm. Because that's where he learned it. Martin he learned like, it from the fucking badgers. Martin's just, like, walking up to the gates of the deep forest, like, guys- I need help. <laughs> the badgers all like leaning against the gate, just sharing a pint, smoking pipes and just being like, I lad, you need help. Yeah. <laughs> you need help with a riddle again. <laughs> all right, here you go. This one should have them uh, turning on their heels a little bit. <laughs> and the badgers are all laughing and Martin is like, oh, this is so fucking good. Thanks. And then it gets to the thing and Martin's like, ah, fuck. I gave them a hard one again. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. And then he goes, he keeps going back to the mattress. He keeps going back. This is our headcanon now. This <laughs> is this is our headcanon. <laughs> Saxtus rewards him with a cup of the finest blackberry wine. Like he'd been drinking mint tea and Saxtus is like, nope, you get blackberry wine for that one. <laughs> it's very cute. Like he just like takes his cup from him. Like, no, somebody go get this boy some like a good drink. Um, They talk of the middle riddle. And Roof does worry that the only four will return means that one of them will die. Dury is quick to point out that this is likely just a trick line from Martin. He does say the sort of things, after all. They will keep each other safe. And it's like, hey. Dury's been on a Martin quest once already. Yeah, so he's like, I, I'm fine. This is, I know how these I know how this works. I'm genre savvy. Yeah, and it's like, I like this. Like, I, you know, my earlier worry was pointed out and then Brian immediately was just like well you know the characters are aware enough of this to also be you know not as afraid so it's like okay all right I like that Melis agrees that you can't worry over the end of a journey before you even start it 
I also kind of love that sentiment. It is a very good one. The other line is clearly about Mariel and Danden, so what's the rest of it about? They can't really figure it out, so they take Rosie's advice to not worry about it. For now, they'll do what they can, and that means taking off tomorrow to head south. Back with Nagru, his horde of rats, and a mysterious ominous wheeled cage flood out into the woods to hunt for Serena and her group. The cage holds the dirge collars, beasts that send every rat in the horde trembling with terror. Nagru hops to the top of the cage and gives the beasts inside two rags, each belonging to Serena and Truffle, while chanting a rhyme. The thing is, is uh, Mingle and Vengro are like trying to stay as far in front of the cage as possible because they're pulling it. Mm-hmm. They do not want to be anywhere near this fucking thing. Yeah. Like this. Uh, so just complete and utter terror. Yeah. So uh, the the rhyme is, Ho, dirge collars, swift and sleek. You shall have your share. Fangs will rip and blood will leak. Sent your victims there. The rags are ripped into the cage, and the sounds inside are horrific indeed, like they are shrieking and wailing. Before opening the cages, he and the horde go through a ritualistic call and response, and we finally see the two dirge callers, if you would like to read. I'm going to start from, like, right after the poem, Mm -hmm. like the little rhyme, because I think that that is very important to what he's doing. Yes. He jumped back laughing as the bits of fabric were snatched inside the bars. The cage began reverberating. Eerie scream-like growls mingled with the rake of scratching claws and grinding teeth. Shreds of ripped cloth flew from the madly buffeting pen. Fascinated and fearful, the horde rats peeked from their hiding places at the spectacle. Ergen Negru gave a throaty chuckle, enjoying the sight of his dirge collars working themselves into a blood frenzy as they took the scent of their quarry. The wolf hide swirled out, starlight pinpointing Negru's metal claws. He called to his horde, What is black and what is red? The answer echoed back from the trees and bushes, Night is black and blood is red. Placing a claw on the cage latch, he shouted, What is the color of death? The reply rang out to the dark skies. Fox Wolf and his dirge callers know the color of death. The cage door sprang open with a clang, and the dirge callers came bounding out. They are two female ermine, driven mad by Nagru's cruelty, now living only to hunt the prey given to them. With shrieks, they take off after the scent of the queen and her son, driven by their bloodlust, Nagru follows. And literally, they describe it that Nagru has driven them mad by denying them any living prey and keeping them caged only to hunt. He has robbed these two of their sentience. Like, they're full on, like, like, they have lost their minds. And this is probably, like, one of the cruelest things I think a villain has done. Like, straight up- Straight up, like, robbing someone else of their personhood. Like, this is worse than slavery. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Like, if if I were writing this, I, I talk about it more later. If I were writing this, first of all, they'd be in their right minds and they'd be lesbians who enjoy murder, right? <laughs> then second of all, they would be the villains of the book. Yeah. 
You know what would be fascinating if Nagri was kind of like their, um, you know, like the power on, like the, the seat, like the one who's on the throne, but the Ermins are the ones who are the actual power behind the throne. They're the reason people fear the throne. Exactly. I always love setups like that where like, yeah, the king is like, maybe not great, but it's the one behind him who they really fear. Mm-hmm. They'd be the Darth Vader to the Emperor, basically, because let's be honest, like, yeah, the Emperor's scary, but it's Darth Vader who makes everyone lose their shit, so. Until they realize what fucking Palpatine can do. Yeah, that's true. But that also makes it fun, too, because then it means that, oh, 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 it's a, it's a double, a double trick. Oh, the king is actually dangerous. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, it's like, again, like, since so much of early Star Wars was inspired by, like, kung fu and samurai movies... If you see an old man in a profession where people usually don't get old, you need to be scared. You do. (laughs) So just before dawn, Iris awakens Serena. They know the horde is on the hunt and she plans to take the queen someplace safer. Somewhere by water where scent will be washed away. Uh, Which isn't necessarily true. It would be more true if they actually took uh, Serena and Truffin into the water, but they put them on a log, which means their scent is still in the air. Right. Because, like, it'll stay on top of the water. Anyway, the otters murmur between themselves as they push the log through the river. Where could they hide her that Nagru wouldn't find? They're like, we need to get her out of here, but she won't leave. Part of me is just like, knock, like, Bundle her up in a sack and take her out of there if she's being that stubborn. Anyway. Someone mentions Ferp's place, and it seems as safe a place to go as any. Because it's hard to find and hard to get into. Exactly. Like, it's just a hill. You know? Like, there's no other distinguishing features about it. It's literally just a hill. Um, And we already know from earlier chapters that the entrance is hidden. Mm Mm-hmm. Iris is quick to hush them, telling them to focus on moving. The sound of the pack behind them is enough to unsettle the whole lot of them. And, like, I've heard, like, hunting dogs in, like, the dead of night before. So I I can imagine how terrifying this sounds. Especially because, like, if you've ever heard, like, a weasel, like, the noises weasels can make. And Mm -hmm. ermines are, like, of that family. It's... They're mustelids. Yeah, it's unsettling. It's creepy. Just, like... If you put a wood chipper through, like, a, 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 what's he call it? Like, just, like, scale up a wood chipper in sound. Like, make it a higher pitch. Um, hard cut to red wall. The put, adventure- put a wood chipper into a minor chord. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Hard cut to red wall. The adventuring crew is preparing to go on their own stream to start their journey. Aided by the Gaussim... And their shoe boats. See, guys, I'm getting it right. Gaussum. Um, I listened. I finally listened to one of the audiobooks, and they do say Gaussum. Um, Weird. Yeah, I still like Gaussum better, but Gaussum works. Um, I mean, of course it works. It's what they want it to be. Anyway. Well, it, yeah, you also spelt it wrong. I did? Weird. You mixed up the O and the U. I did. I hope I didn't do that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't notice it until just now, yeah. so... Logalog is a bit puzzled by their plans, though. He's just to take them to the sea? Then what? Saxtus hems and haws until Logalog tells him to give the whole truth. 
Saxus does, and Logalog ponders it while looking over his crew. Like, his crew, meanwhile, is, like, arguing, like, more than usual. You know, usual. It's like, shrews, though? Yeah. They, they're arguing, like, shrews. Like, where should we pack this? Where should we put that? No, you dunce do this. No, we should do it like that. No, put the grog here. Put the oars there. No, fuck there. you. No, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> He does want his shrews to go through an adventure, but their boats won't work on the ocean. Before Saxtus can get too crestfallen, Logalog says that it doesn't mean they won't help. Saxtus is beyond grateful to his old friend, cutting short his thanks with the confident proclamation that they just need a proper ship and crew. Logalog turns to give orders to his shrews. Like he knows, he's like, I know the creature to get a good boat from. Um, so Saxtus and the others have to finish up a hasty goodbye as the shrews are arguing more and more the longer they delay. With a few last cried goodbyes, they're off down the stream. We hear of- Zoom. Yeah. Down they go. We hear of Logalog's seafaring friend, an otter named Finbar Galedeep. Sea otter. Sea otter. Sea otter. (laughs) Sea otter, sea otter, sea otter, sea otter, sea otter. Ah! <laughs> it takes two days for the shrews to row downstream. It's not a bad journey in warm summer sunshine, passing peaceful fields of flowers. The shrews even cheer up enough to sing a shanty or two. Would you like to read the shanty? Oh, the shanty. Eh. Eh. Uh, I have no idea what this tune is. <laughs> it's... So. Yeah. I was born on a stream and fed from a paddle, shrumadurai, shrumadurai, and here I'll stay till my tail don't waggle, see long weeds grow where the currents flow. Aye, that's the way I like it so. Shrumadurai, shrumadurai, ho run you river, run my way, ho um, ho um, ho um. I don't know what the tune is there. There's a tune. I don't know what it is. It is whatever it wants to be. Um, let's see. A fine dawn finds them in and among the sand dunes of the shore. It'll be a trek over the sand to the sea for them. But before they trek, Logalog warns them to stay silent and near the boats. He's off to scout. The shore can be dangerous sometimes. They have to shut up Rosie multiple times by just, like, making sure that she doesn't laugh. Pretty much. Just, like, grab her nose and be like, nope. You stop that. Um... Let's see. A fun. While he's oh, the short meters. Sorry. While he scouts, they break out a simple breakfast. Halfway through the morning, Logalog returns with the rather scruffy and scarred old otter. Knowing how he impresses the others, he cheerfully introduces himself as the Gale Deep. He's this like scarred up, buff old otter. He's got like an oyster shell over one eye because he's missing that eye. He's got like arms covered in tattoos. It's great. <laughs> he's so cool. He is. I like this old otter. I love him. He's very good. Um, let's see. Finbar eats a hair share of the breakfast before coming straight to business. He has no boat of his own, and when challenged what they're to do about it, he says they are to steal one. Like, no bonds about it. He's just like, yeah, we'll just take one. We're just gonna steal it. Because it was stolen from him. It was his boat. 
Um, this causes an outcry until Logalog calls for silence. They need to listen to the plan. He wants to reclaim his stolen ship, the Pearl Queen, from two sea rats, Slip and Strap, who fancy themselves Corsair captains. They're brothers who also hate each other, apparently. As always, because the Vermins can't have any sense of loyalty or unity. Or they can nope. until they need to not have that unity to um, to be convenient for the heroes. Something, something plot. Something, something plot. Um, Gonna fucking resurrect Martin from the grave. Murder him again. They have another ship called the Shalu. Which Finbar plans to sink before they take the Pearl Queen back. Let's see. And again, remember kids, stealing is okay if it's already stolen. <laughs> but also remember kids, stealing's absolutely okay if you steal from a major corporation. <laughs> There's nothing to do with any of this literally Last night while I was reading, pure word association. <laughs> I'm a goofy. It's okay. We, we are very silly today, everyone. There's going to be so many bloopers from this episode. It's a it's simple plan. Fun. They wait until midnight, sail from the shoreline in the shrew boats, steal the Pearl Queen while Finbar and Logalog scupper the Shalu. Then off they go. Roof is exceedingly nervous, confiding to Dury as the group whiles the daylight hours away. He's never stolen anything before. Except maybe some candy chestnuts when he was a dibbin. Right, and that doesn't count. That's what that's what kids are supposed to do. That's what dibbins do. He's never yeah. stolen anything. Although, ah! although, like, one of the few times I was brave enough to steal a chocolate, it was a chocolate liqueur. And I was forever <laughs> traumatized. <laughs> I've stolen things, but I'm not going to perjure myself on a podcast. <laughs> Dury encourages him, saying sea rats are cowards. Just growl and flash a weapon, and they'll turn tail. Roof makes a half-hearted attempt, only to be scared half out of his skin by a display of ferocity from Finbar. Because like, he like, slashes his swords in the air and... Like, right in front of Roof's nose. But he does it in a kind way, encouraging Roof when he's done. Like, hey, you know, you can do it too. You just need practice. Just gotta do it. Yep. No half-hearted attempts here. You just do it. As sun sets, they have a cold dinner and settle in to attempt to nap. All lost in thoughts of the plans ahead. Well, plan, but... Back at the molehill, Ferp goes to send two of his grandkids to feed Mariel and company breakfast. They report that they've up and gone with the dawn. Instead, the kids have packed them breakfast, and he praises them for doing the right thing. Though, when once says they've gone, Eckertoimerin, he's plumb baffled. We learn that it is a mispronunciation of reconnoitering. Meldrum is showing the newcomers around the hills. And even though he brags about knowing the hills better than his back, the back of his hand, uh, they nearly topple down one of said hills, which has eroded, only stopped by Mariel's awareness and Bowley's careful observation. Moving to a more sound hill, they spot the queen and her rescuers on the stream, and Nagru's force is closing in. And it's like a very evocative image of these, like, two 
just kind of bedraggled like creatures on a log being pushed by otters and on the shore we have like the 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 dirge callers be intertwining with each other as they're on the hunt just howling to the sky with Negru and his horde close behind them like it is such an evocative mental image it it almost makes me think of like you know like those paintings of like fox hunts yeah that's what it makes me think of like the hounds it's because it's a fox hunt (laughs) yeah well (laughs) (laughs) i'm just thinking about like the how they always show like the arc of the hounds chasing the fox Mm -hmm. and like that just makes me that's like yeah that's that's pretty strong mental image there uh meldrum is all for charging into attack held back only by mariel and dandan's caution like they're literally standing in front of him going no it will be suicide to charge literally like like, one of his 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 nephews is just like don't we make a plan first and then charge in? And Meldrum's like, no time for that. And then Mariel, <laughs> Mariel and Dandon are like, uh, yeah. there's absolutely time for that. Mariel pulls out the big guns like, do you want your your leverets killed? Like, do you want them killed like that? And that's what, brings, that, that's what pulls him back, you know. He's like, mm, no, I don't. Thankfully, Mariel makes a plan quick as a flash. She gives her orders. Two leverets hand over their bows and strings. Slings. And Boli is to take all four back and alert the moles to watch for the queen and company. She's so confident that they obey without hesitation. Finally, she turns to a slightly baffled Meldrum, giving him the last, clearly most important, task. She's like, only you can do it, old chap. And it's because, it's because he's fat. Only Um, you (laughs) can absolutely decimate things with your weight. (laughs) I mean, but it's not done in a mean it's way. It's not at all. Like, you, so. can, like she, you can tell she is slightly manipulating him, but it's because she knows he can do the job. Yeah. Um, so she's just like, hey, so you know you're important. You got a big personality. Let's use the other part of you that's big and knock that hill over. Um, although she doesn't say that yet. Sorry, spoilers. Um <laughs> <laughs> sh- <laughs> Yeah, spoilers for this book. The- <laughs> Everyone's already hopefully read, um, if not. And if you haven't, like, it's fine. Right. You're you're here for a reason. So Nagru catches up to the log, but it's a stalemate. They don't want to enter the water, but the otters can't move the log fast enough. Like, they can't get out on the other shore, I guess. He orders no slung stones or arrows. He wants the scrolls alive. The dirge callers can kill the otters. The plan is disrupted as his rats start to drop from slung stones. Like, it's like, crack, one drops, crack, one drops, and one even hits Nagru. Oh. The don't, in this particular moment, I, they refer to the dirge callers as it. Yeah. Because one of them hits, the, one of the stones hits one of the dirge callers. And I really don't like that dehumanization of them. I mean, if it's intentional. Because they're referred to as female and it's just like, ah, okay, they're they're super not human, I guess. Right, like a this... human. We're using human in in place of like sentience, sapience. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I feel like that could be intentional. It it definitely is, but it feels bad because we've already been like this whole thing with them feels bad, and now it's oh, it's worse now. It is supposed to feel bad, so I think it was, he he did his job well in this case. 
A voice mocks that they're an army of slingers and they'll drop them all, but Nagaru is quick to call their bluff by throwing a stone back at them. Like, he hits, like, is it Mariel? They yell. It doesn't say. It hits one of them, and Nagaru sees the two, like, two mice, like, scurry away. Right. So he gives chase as they play. He's like, it's only two! Um, Mariel's plan- Get them! Yeah. Mariel's plan is simple and beautiful, and I love the setup and the payoff here. She leads the dirge callers and a small chunk of the horde to the eroded hill. On top of it, Meldrum waits. When Mariel gives the call of now, he leaps three times. Wump, wump, wump. And then this motherfucker, this motherfucker. Okay, at no point, at no point, at no point in the book so far have we have we seen any evidence that Meldrum is from Salamanderstrom, right? Right. At no point. He's just a hare who happens to have his own, like, weird company in the southern lands in Southsward, which is so, so far away from Salamanderstrom. Like, so far away. Like, Salamanderstrom like, like, is far from Redwall, you know? It's like, like north of Redwall, so. And this motherfucker lets out a war cry of Eulalia, and I'm like, why does he know this war cry? We're nowhere near Salamanderstrom. Not every hare and fucking badger can know that war cry, Brian. You don't just genetically have a war cry inscribed onto your fucking bones at birth, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no. Buy a Ouija board and fly to Wisconsin. Record us having a fucking seance to summon Brian's ghost so I can throttle him. You'll see why when we get to the next thing I'm angry. on social media you can follow us on tumblr and reddit at abby archives and if you would like to help support this podcast you can find us on coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash hs enclave this podcast is part of hearthside enclave and some other shows you might like are hope's hearth a solar hope punk actual play podcast and post-apocalyptic news radio a fallout inspired audio drama